Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Here on Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey back with you alongside the cantankerous one, ACC Network Analyst, former North Carolina Tar Heel National Champion, and of course head coach, our boy Coach Matt Darty, back in studio on this Thursday. How are you, sir? Cantankerous. I think I just found our word of the day. That might be the word of the day. It just came out naturally. Right? That's that's the way it has to be. You know, you could... Tell the story. About oh, well, last week, mercurial, yeah. you know, was the word of the week. And uh, I mean, do we want to settle on cantankerous or should we crowdsource the word of the day to the crowd out there? Well, let's crowdsource. You want to crowdsource? Anybody, you know, I think it's really good that, you know, I talk a lot in leadership about getting better each day. And I want to get better today. And my vocabulary has increased immensely by being on your show. Yeah. Mercurial is a go-to word now. It is a good word. Oh, my gosh. It's a it great is go-to. word. It's a good word. Because it describes a lot of college basketball coaches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's me to a point. You know, I, I talk about spewing in leadership, spewing mercury. Like, you get intense. You get fired up. Somebody does something. And all of a sudden, you feel this mercury building in your stomach. It goes through the esophagus, and it spews out of your mouth. You spew mercury. Mercurial. It's just an awesome fit. It is a good fit. All right, so there you go. 704-570-9610. Hit the building center text line. What should the word of the day be? If you've got a, an essay, let's call it an SAT word for us, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. An adjective preferably, right? I don't need like battleships and such. Give us right. the word of the day here in the clubhouse. That we can throw in and maybe either impress, you know, some friends or friends that might say, what the Right. Hell? Right. I mean, I think cantankerous is a good start, but I think How we do you can, spell cantankerous. We'll work on that during the break. I, I think we can improve upon cantankerous, though. Oh, 704 I, I, I Googled it. <laughs> gotcha. So we got a bunch to get to before I even get to this uh, th- this grand delusion of a 350 team NCAA tournament. Uh, you, you walked in here and said football's back. Yeah. And it feels good. It feels good. It's good for the soul. Like, e- I, I was talking to my wife last night. We we watch uh, David Muir, seven o'clock or well, six thirty. 
news, 30 minutes, boom, you try to get a hit. It was wildfires. It was uh, Trump lying. It was, um, you know, the pandemic. It was a uh, young school teacher who died of COVID. Um, so it was the bad news. It was, uh, it, it, it was awful. So you need good news in your life. We do because, uh, you know, I have some people in the mental health field and the, the psychologists, they're booked up. They are booked up. Oh, people are, that's, it's so, it's crazy that you say that because I, I brought this into the conversation about the NBA bubble, you know, about the time the players were on a wildcat strike two weeks ago. I said, look, you know, think about it this way. We're already all living way too much through the prism of social media. But imagine being an NBA player isolated from the rest of the world in a bubble in Orlando. You know, and you're already dealing with the stresses of, you know, preparing for a game, a big series. You played poorly. You played well. But you have all these things happening outside that you can't get to because you're in this bubble. And you're getting everything you know through the, the prism of social media and these algorithms that are designed to keep feeding yeah. you things that it thinks that you want, whether it be outrage or anger or negative news stories. You know, Pete, to your point. Mental health in sports and across the country right now is a huge battlefield that's being fought because, I mean, think about it. Like, 2020 has been a nightmare. People were locked inside. The economy's in the toilet. You know, there's so many things happening right now. People are flocking to licensed therapists just to have somebody to talk to. Yeah, and the liquor store. And the, and the liquor store because those never the shut line, down. The line at the ABC <laughs> store. Oh, did that come out of my mouth? It did. Yeah. I think it did. I think it did. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good point, though. You're right about that. What do you think? about this grand idea to invite all 346 eligible Division I teams to the NCAA tournament this spring? It sounds like the bachelor, the eligible bachelors. <laughs> when And I have, uh, I, I, I've told you, I'm, uh, I just finished the manuscript on my book called Rebound. It'll come out in March, and it talks about my leadership journey and coaching. And, and in it, I mentioned Coach K a lot and, and how you know, what a great coach. And he was compassionate to me, but, and I saw, so my point is I have a lot of respect for him and I just plugged my book. Um, is what it is. And when that came out, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard come out of his mouth. Uh, and I jokingly said to you, it's like, you know, he was in the bathroom, you know, on the toilet <laughs> thinking, and he just sends out a text, you know, like, Let's invite every NCAA tournament team and have an open field, the NCAA open, like the British open, like it's open to everybody. I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. They're trying to make back money. Come, come, come from coming from a very educated, you know, leader in the world of college basketball. Now, let me set the scene for those who might not understand exactly what we're talking about. Yesterday, the ACC coaches emerged from a, a meeting yep. with this uniformed idea behind Coach K's leadership, if you will, to invite all eligible 346 Division I basketball teams to play in the big dance, to expand it to basically infinity and beyond. Um, and, and the opening rounds <laughs> would take the place of the conference championship tournaments, and early round bracketing would be based on geography. So by the second week, the tournament would, in essence, look pretty much like the normal you know, 64 to 68 teams. All 15 ACC men's basketball coaches in the nation's premier basketball conference signed off on it and the league office is behind it as well now when we started the show this morning the senior vice president of the ncaa dan gavitt saying 
okay, guys, by the way, we have no plans to do this. Yeah. Like yesterday, it seemed like there was, it was being reported there was widespread momentum behind this, and there probably is some momentum behind this, but the NCAA's Dave Gavitt saying this morning, we have no plans to do this. Yeah. D- Dan, Dan Gavitt. Um, Did I say Dave? Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. That's Dan okay. Gavitt. His dad, Dave Gavitt, was a legendary Hall of Fame coach um, at Providence and started the Big East. Uh, he was the first commissioner. Uh, Dan's a good man. I got to know him. He used to be an assistant for Fran Fischella, I believe, at Manhattan College. Um, very good leader, very stable, you know, smart, knows the game, manages people, systems. Just think of having that thrown in your lap. Like, I, I had to help run the A, A-10 Conference Championship in Brooklyn and in Washington. What goes into those things? Like, we take it for granted as coaches and fans because we show up. We get our ticket. We go through. We sit down. We buy a drink and popcorn, and we watch a ball game. As coaches, we take the bus. We go into the building. We get off the bus and walk right to our locker room and then walk onto the court. Somebody had to rent the arena, negotiate the deal, hire the officials, get the hotels, um, the TV, uh, the seating plan, the tickets, it is an organizational nightmare. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, I'm thinking, hey, guys, like, and, and again, I think about this, and this goes back to leadership, too. Here's Coach K, the most successful coach in modern-day history in college basketball, saying to the other coaches in the meeting, hey, let's have an open NCAA tournament invite everybody. What do you think? <laughs> Who's going to say no? <laughs> well, I told these guys yesterday, this is about making back money that was lost in 2020. Right. No one, at least no average sports fan, is going to go to CBS Sports Network at 9 o'clock on a, I don't know, Wednesday night to watch Pepperdine host Prairie View. Right. No, the, the, the masses are not hey, watching don't that sell, game. Don't sleep on Prairie View. Fair, I'm fair point. Fair I'm point. Sorry. But... You slap NCAA tournament on that right. game, you might get more people to no watch question. it. And, and thus, at least in theory, making it more, right. I don't know, valuable as television inventory. I'm not saying it will definitely work that way, but I mean, that could be kind of the idea here. Right. Now, from a you know a fan perspective, I'd be, I had friends tweeting last night saying things like, you know who ain't filling out a 350-team bracket? <laughs> this guy right here. <laughs> you know, I'm not printing off a five-page bracket for the NCAA tournament. Right. I'll just, you know, I'll wait. You, you, you'd, have, you'd get out, you'd be running out of uh, printer ink all the time. Yeah, so again, I the, the bracket itself, this sounds like such a silly argument, I'm sure, to some people, you know, but the bracket itself is one of the strongest reasons not to do this because, you know, like, like the Super Bowl brings in a lot of viewers that don't, they're, they're not diehard football fans, right. they're just there because it's a big event. I mean, how many wives and girlfriends and sons and daughters who don't watch a lot of college football still get in on bracket pools, right. still fill out their brackets every Correct. year? So it, it is a very valuable part of people engaging in the NCAA no tournament. You're 100% right. So I, I, this makes it really, really problematic. Nobody got to play in the 2020 NCAA tournament. There wasn't one. This time around, the idea is to give everybody a chance to experience the joy of March Madness that went missing last spring. And and do you people keep calling this, you know, participation trophy syndrome. Um 
I, I don't know that I buy it. I don't think that's it here. No, I not at all. I, I understand why you might be inclined to call it Participation right. Trophy Central, but I don't think that's what this is. No, I, I don't think so at all. I think what Coach K is trying to do is just to have something new, fresh, and exciting uh, and different because this is the opportunity to do it. When there is there was no NCAA tournament last year, people aren't talking about college basketball. The NBA has gained some momentum. Now we have the NFL. So college basketball needs to feel relevant and does need to make money. So while it is a great idea that should be thrown up on the whiteboard, I don't think it should be presented publicly. Okay. Yeah. You know, in terms of like that, like vet it, like say, okay, what do you think about this, Dan Gavitt? You know, let's talk about it before you go to the media and put your stamp on it. I, I think, well, to that point, I, there was almost kind of a bum rush tactic here. Yeah. You know, let, let's take them by surprise publicly. Let's put them on their heels. Let's try to get this done. If you went through the, the traditional channels, it probably gets shot Correct. down, you know, before it even gets a chance to get to the light of day. Right. But when you have all 15 ACC coaches, you know, releasing statements all at the same time and a uniformed front saying we need to do this. Right. It seems and really is more powerful that way. Yeah, 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 yes and no. But yeah, you know, I, I admire Dan Dan Gavitt's leadership and his uh, strength to come out publicly and not only tap the brakes, he stood up on the brakes. I'm, I'm not so much a proponent of this as I am, look, if this is what you have to do, I'll just roll with it, right? Yeah. Like the college football season is going to be different. Yeah. Baseball season has been different. I'm just rolling yeah. with it. I don't think that a 350-team tournament – needs to be the norm and I, I don't even think these coaches want it to be the norm i think they're looking at this as you and i've talked about and thinking okay you know from no, november through february this could this is probably going to be a wreck of a season so why not put all of your eggs in the march madness basket right and, and try to do it this way because the pac-12 they might walk their decision back even further but as of right now they don't plan to play anything un, until january, january 1st so yep. so how do you try to put all these teams on the same page that's my point yeah from from a logistical standpoint the whiteboard in Dan Gavitt's office would have to go, you know, inside a domed arena to try to draw this one up. Mm. I just, I, again, I would roll with it. I don't love the idea, but if you can't play anything akin to or what looks like a traditional regular season, then I right. guess you, so if it's not 350 teams, what's the next best solution well, in your mind? Is, is this just a, an art of the deal where they're asking for 350 and they're hoping to get 128? Well, I think that everybody should play their league schedule uh, full round robin and not have um, non-conference games or reduce the non-conference games to maybe within a six mile radius. So that way, you know, because we are talking about COVID, you know, like that's the thing. Like here's this open tournament with 350 teams. Well, how do you, how do you manage the COVID situation? How do you manage, you know, uh, testing? How do you manage, uh, you know, putting people in quarantine? How do you manage that when you're talking about every team and in different sites? So I think that if you have, you know, the ACC play a full round robin or make it, more like the NBA where you have series. Maybe you play three times. Maybe you play, you know, Carolina plays Duke home and away and then one neutral site in Greensboro. Um, so you grow the conference schedule and then, you know, you can grow the NCAA tournament a little bit more, but uh, eliminate the non-conference games. Like you're not going to Hawaii, you're yeah. not going to the Bahamas, uh, and if you want to play, like, say, Carolina likes to play Davidson, 
you know, in Charlotte. Okay, you can do that. You can have two to five games, non-conference, but it's got to be within a bus ride. Okay. See, I, I think, first of all, what you're proposing, again, is interesting. If we're talking about one-offs, let's get freaky, let's get creative, <laughs> let's do something weird for a year, fine. Like, I'm all about it. You know, do the best with what you have. But I think you and I both agree that even though – you know, we've seen a lot of change in sports. If they can keep the 68-team bracket the way that it is, yeah, that it probably is the best move, you know, beyond 2021. Yeah, no, I, I think so. It, it, you know, you might – you're going to have to tweak it in some way, shape, or form where you, you have that tournament, but you maybe have it in, you know, one or two sites, like maybe what the NHL did. You had two pods, you know, and then they'd build up to the Stanley Cup. Um, because you have to have more teams. All right, it's an in, it's interesting, and I don't think it, I don't think this story's dying anytime soon because there will be a different looking NCAA tournament. I think in 2021. Beyond that, who knows? But sports are changing, and 2021 is going to be the catalyst for a lot of change in sports. But how much change will we see? Well, we'll see what Coach Darty thinks next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. <laughs> Sports Radio FNZ Kyle Bailey alongside Coach Matt Darty, ACC Network Analyst, longtime Tar Heel National Champ. We were just discussing the uh, proposed plan by the ACC and specifically uh, Coach K to to hold, hold a 346 team NCAA tournament this spring. Neither of us thinks it's a great idea or feasible idea long term. I could have some fun with it if I knew it was a one-off, but even still, 346 teams in a tournament is excessive. We had some people on Twitter, Coach, hit us up. Charlotte Sports Guy saying, I don't see the value one way or the other in a 300-plus team tournament, but it would only really be adding two or three extra games to have to play. Uh, round buys would also probably help. However, logistically, it sounds like a nightmare and very costly in a time where money is scarce. That's the, the primary point for me, too, was if you're already doing this to try to make back all the money you've lost, is it worth it to construct bubbles in Connecticut and Asheville and you know all over the country to try to pull this off? Are you even making money at that point? Yeah, I, it's the risk. It, it, it is a risky endeavor. Uh, I think it's exciting out-of-the-box thinking, and, and that's to Coach K's credit. Um, but he's not the one that has to put the pencil to pad and try to figure it out. And on top of that, as we said earlier, the risk of COVID. Yeah. Um, you would potentially be putting more people in harm's way, potentially, depending on how you would structure it. And oh, by, oh, by the way, now, the, 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 the thing that could help is if all these kids are remote learning, they're not going to be missed class. No, and that appears to be what some of the, the leadership has in mind, yeah. which then takes us into the discussion of, you know, if you're going to pull them off site, how can you right. continue to try to convince people these are just merely student athletes, right. you know, there for the amateur athletic experience? It's it's hard to convince people of that. Yeah, no, it, it, it is definitely, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it could create a lot of cantankerous people though they might become <laughs> what no, nothing nothing uh nor they got norm on twitter coach also saying what about norm, norm. Yeah, norm well i think he goes by normbulance on uh, on twitter norm, norm. i don't know if this is a man named norm who drives an ambulance i can, I can only assume I'm that's thinking, the case i'm thinking of uh what was the tv show with cheers cheers yeah yeah norm yeah norm so normbulance saying what about expanding it to all teams that are 500 and above well, you can't do that because you have a, fluctu a fluctuating number of teams every year that are 500 or better. 
Yeah, I mean, can you do that? What, what is the window? Um, I'd have to go back and count how many teams were even above 500 last year to even know how many that looks like. I don't even know off the top of my head how many teams had a, an above 500 yeah, record. I mean, that, that, that's that's kind of interesting. It is. I, I think that's a norm. Good, good. Good uh, cheers. Maybe that's the baseline set of you know criteria. You know you got to be a 500 or better team to get I, in. I felt that from the beginning. Yeah. You know that you know when you see a team from say the ACC and I'm coaching in another conference and somebody with a six and ten record gets in the tournament and your second place team that might have been ten and two or whatever doesn't get the at large bid. Right. You know that those are tough pills to swallow and then they go strength of schedule. But you know that that. He, he's he's he, norm my norm i'll give you dan gavitt's number and give him a call <laughs> oh normulence he says is his tailgating rig for the charlotte 49ers football game so i, th I think he, oh, th that's what it is nice he, he's just clarified that to for do us. a flyby yeah so i appreciate the uh, the clarification there norm all i know is it's going to be different a lot of people don't like it but uh you know we got somebody else saying coach please stop giving coach k credit you were a tar heel not a blue devil so somebody else saying that. I, well, he must have caught the tail end of the conversation because must've. before, when I first came on, I kind of was giving Coach K a hard time. Very saying critical. He must have come in, up on, with his idea on the throne and just <laughs> sent a text out to uh, Dan Gavitt. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, so I told you before the break that I, 2020 is going to be a catalyst year for, for the sports industry to change. You know, it's always evolving. Things are always changing, but especially in 2020. I brought this up yesterday, and I wanted to bring it up while you were in studio. Um, the, the Gallup polling company, you know, Gallup is most famous for polling political elections mm -hmm. and things like mm -hmm. that. Gallup, uh, but they do a lot more than that. Yesterday, they released industry polling numbers. And, you know, for instance, the healthcare industry, mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry, the mm -hmm. farming industry, so on and so forth. You know, the farming industry, for instance, uh, rating very highly among the American public that was polled. For the first time, I, th I believe, in, in, in the polling of the sports industry, the American public views the sports industry negatively. A year ago, uh, it was 45% favorability rating, positive favorability for the mm -hmm. sports rating. Now, for those that don't know how it works, you get positive rating, you get a neutral, and you get negative ratings. So, you know, your net score is positive minus negative or however that works. So you, you got the sports industry dropping from 45% favorability in 2019 all the way down to 30, a net negative mm -hmm. 10 score. First time that the, the sports industry has rated negatively mm -hmm. among the American public. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? Well, it, it tells me a couple of things. And as you look at the poll, you know, a lot of it has to do with the unknown of the scheduling. You know, our team's going to play. Are they going to have a season? Will they play a game? You know, some games get canceled because of COVID, like in, with Major League Baseball. But what I see, um, Kyle, and, and some friends I talk to, um, they're tired of the NBA. You know, they're tired of baseball. They're tired of seeing people take a knee. They're so tired of watching a game, trying to escape all the negative we, negativity we talked about earlier that's on the news. They want to escape to feeling good, to see something that they enjoy and lose themselves in a sporting event. But when they see, you know, athletes making millions of dollars, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong, you know, coaches that are making millions of dollars, you know, making these political statements, they turn it off and turn on Netflix. What, what I said about this, <clears throat> pardon me, yesterday was, like you said, 
positive, negative, feel how you want to feel about it, you're entitled to do so. But when you start looking how it breaks along the demographic lines, age groups, racial groups, yeah. uh, political affiliations, those sorts of things, mm -hmm. what really stood out to me, you know, beyond just the, the, the political line breaking and everything else mm -hmm. was the fact that it was largely, you know, the 35 and above crowd, mm -hmm. you know, that has uh, has really given the overwhelming negative rating to the sports industry mm -hmm. in this Gallup polling. And that's concerning for the sports industry because the 35 and older crowd is the crowd that's buying season tickets and spending all the money. Mm -hmm. That's where you find your boosters. That's mm -hmm. where you're, you're selling your season tickets and the bulk of your merchandise and, and the financial support overall. That's where I think it's, it's probably a bit concerning for the sports industry because apparently the people who you rely on most to spend the money mm -hmm. and, and to uh, to subsidize your industry are the ones telling you that for the first time since they've been polled, they don't view the sports industry favorably. You're 100% right. And as you continue to look down uh, the graph, white Americans are down 22% and Republicans are down 35%. Yep. So again, it breaks sharply along yep. political lines. Yes, it does. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, I see it. I hear it. Um, to me, you know, I've enjoyed, you know, I'm a basketball guy, so I enjoy watching watching the NBA because the games have been really good, really close, um, and I'm fired up to watch. Heck, I watched SMU play football the other day against, uh, um, I think it was Texas State. Um, I watched Arkansas State some against Memphis. I don't really have a dog in the – well, I, you know, I worked at SMU. I have a friend of mine's the AD at Arkansas State. So, I, But I enjoyed seeing the competition again on the field. I, I do too. No, so, again, I go back to this in terms of, you know, what this means for the sports industry. I think that pro sports need to reevaluate their relationship to the fan. I think pro sports needs to reevaluate the way it sees the fan as a consumer, what it wants, what it doesn't, because you're seeing a major shift. Coach, we assumed that when everything shut down back in March – that people would just be sitting inside watching TV all the time. Right. Remember all the, the talk about, well, hey, if I got to play in empty stadiums, the, the ratings will be through the roof. Right. right? Everybody's going to be at home. The TV networks are going to love this. No, it lasted about three or four weeks, and then people started going outside and finding all sorts of other things to do, and TV numbers plummeted. I think people will still largely go back to sports because it's the last bastion of you know communal experience where we're all watching the same thing. Yep. There's no more 40 million people circling around TVs to watch the MASH finale you know, or the right. Friends finale. We don't don't do that anymore but we still get around the tv to watch sports but even now what we're seeing is that a large chunk of the american population is saying look if if you're going to use sports as a vehicle to give me the same things that i'm getting on the nightly news well then maybe I, i'm not going to spend my money with sports anymore i'm out and i found a, a, a way to fill my void of that window in time each week with doing other things whether it's be reading a book watching movies or working in my yard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six. I don't work in my yard. Well, you no, you don't. But I, I have noticed. I went to Lowe's the other day. That's what, packed. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I brought that up just simply because it's been apparently they've all been astonished too at how the American public just started flocking to home you know home yeah. improvement stores because everybody's doing yard work yeah. these days. Yeah. People have gotten outside. So I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. There are people like a particular texter on our text line right now who, you know, say, you know, people tell your friends there's nothing political about uh, athletes using their voices to demand equality for all people. If they have a problem with people nothing wanting to be political. treated fairly, then perhaps they are in the wrong place. See, again, I understand where you're coming from, and there's certainly been a history of athletes 
who have involved themselves in political movements. Yes, they have. A long and, time. And who have lent their voices, you know, in, in, in some cases, Muhammad Ali has freedom, you know, to political and social movements. What I tried to say last week, and I'll say it again, and it, it had a, a couple of people got mad at me about it, but I truly believe it. The fact of the matter is, if you are relying on 20 to 25-year-old athletes, most of which are politically disengaged, 20% of the NBA is registered to vote. I'm glad they've started this voting initiative. That's great for the players. I think everybody should be more politically engaged and involved. You know, I think it's our civic duty. But the, the American public will remain resistant to being lectured and, and being told what to do and how to think by 20 to 25 millionaire athletes who basically will tell you that they are politically disengaged as a body. Right. That, that's, there's not, there, that shouldn't be a secret. Did, do you remember the ads, the PSAs that came out early about the, with the NBA that talked about, hey, we're in this together, right. fight COVID? Right. And so many people watching that were like, we're in this together. Right. You're living in this mansion overlooking the coast of of uh, the you know of California, you have private planes. You're getting guaranteed salaries. We're not in this together. You know you can talk about it, but you're not living how I live. So that as as much as they try to engage, you know, a lot of people are just cynical as hell. Yeah, they really are. And and that's I told somebody the other day, you can get mad at me all you want to. I'm not telling you or anybody else how to feel about these issues. I'm saying the reality is, and these numbers reflect that, that the 35 and up crowd view sports more negatively right now than they seemingly ever yeah. have. These are the people who pay for season tickets. They, they donate to programs. They're your boosters. And they're telling you it's not necessarily they don't care about yeah. the issues. It's that they don't want to be lectured about the issues by yeah. 20 to 25 year old athletes, millionaire athletes at that, who live a vastly different lifestyle than the rest of the American public and who are telling you, hey, we've never really voted and we're not very politically engaged, but we have this platform, so listen to us or we won't play. Well, as we're finding out, the we won't play threat didn't really resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, and, and schools have to be careful because what are they doing now? My daughter's a rower at North Carolina and each team gets to vote on what kind of patch they want on their uniform for supporting, you know, Black Lives Matter and in groups like that. So when a school chooses that and walks out on the floor, you look at those numbers we just talked about. White Americans, uh, Republicans, the age group of 35 and over, you just touched on it. Those are the boosters. Will those schools risk alienating those fans that have been part of those universities, which, you know, many are fit that demographic. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any fallout uh, from how these schools uh, promote these types of political groups like Black Lives Matter. I know a lot of people personally who care deeply about these issues. You know, who will shout Black Lives Matter to right. the rooftops, you know, who want to be they they want to lend a hand, you know, they, they want to do right by people, by their fellow Americans, but they just choose very peacefully not to get their opinions from politically disengaged young athletes, right. millionaire athletes at that. That is a reality right. that a lot of people don't want to face because it's got to be about feelings. It's got to be about emotion. It's got to be about the inspiring nature of, you know, tens of thousands coming together in the streets. Never mind the fact that the the real numbers that are being reflected here tell you that the people who move the money and make this industry what it is, they're very resistant to that. Yeah. And quite frankly, have been for a long time. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I really don't. All right, we'll come back. we got one more segment to go. 
with Coach Matt Doherty, and we'll talk about the NBA playoffs. We'll talk about what we saw last night. Game 7, Raptors and Celtics. Which way does it go? Coach Doherty tells us next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Back on Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey, Coach Matt Doherty. One more segment to go. Coming up at 1 o'clock, we'll talk to Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer. We'll talk about the college football weekend ahead, but it begins tonight, Miami and UAB. And the ACC schedule then picks up and rolls on Saturday. Your Tar Heels coach taking on Syracuse. And I, I seem to be like the only non-Heels fan in my orbit that thinks this is going to be, you know, a fairly breezy afternoon for the Tar Heels. I got people at the network saying, I don't know, they might be on upset alert. Syracuse might get them. That might be the upset of the weekend in the ACC. I'm like, they're three touchdown favorites. What, what's, what gives here? Uh, I tell you, uh, the only thing I know is that Syracuse football has made a little climb uh, over the last few years. Um, Syracuse football, to me, ever since Ernie Davis and Jim Brown graduated, was, <laughs> wasn't much, wasn't much of a thing. And and you know, growing up in New York, I never thought about Syracuse football. And then even when I was coaching in the Big East, you know, never thought about Syracuse football. Um, but nowadays, there's so much, to, uh, there's so much uncertainty. You know, who's healthy, what kind of conditioning, what kind of consistency have you had in practice? Do you have a routine? What's the timing? Because as you know, in football, so much of that is timing uh, on offense. So I think that, to me, defenses have a huge advantage coming into the football season because you don't need timing on defense. You need to be aggressive and athletic and have some schemes. But, you know, on offense, you've got to have timing. And if you don't have timing, there's going to be turnovers. Yeah, I, that's the conditioning for that sport and the one in your sport are very different. But the, the bottom line is the concern is going to be there no matter what when you don't have the, the preseason that you're accustomed to. Right. Football play. The only way to be truly in basketball shape is to do what? Play basketball. Play basketball. The same thing goes for football. Yeah. So I, you got to hit. Just like the NFL with college football, too. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on these early games and, you know, hoping that that really that these teams just get out of these early weeks clean without many injuries, because obviously that impacts the rest of the season. But without a full preseason, without, you know, as much padded practice and everything else, these guys are at risk. And, and we'll probably I mean, I, I think you'd agree with this. I'm I'm bracing a little bit for some ugly football in the, oh, in the yeah. first two weeks. I think it's going to be there. Yeah. No, it's it, it in both college and pro, it's going to be there. And again, that's where I think the defenses have the advantage. You know, tonight we're, we're seeing two high-level NFL quarterbacks, right? Watson and Mahomes. But I think the defenses will have the advantage because of the timing issues. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I just think that, you know, again, the early season is going to be a bit rocky. I think Carolina and Las Vegas could actually be one of the more intriguing first week games in the mm -hmm. NFL. I also know very good and well it could be among the ugliest week mm -hmm. one NFL games with a whole lot of rookies. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of young guys that are going to be out there for the first time. Plus, you know, a, a first time head coach and Matt Rule at the NFL level. I mean, he's coached in some big games at the college level, but it's not the same. What do you imagine as a coach is going through Matt Rule's head before kickoff on Sunday? Do the players get on the bus on time? <laughs> like, you know. Uh, it really the, is that stuff. No, though, right? yeah. Like, like uh, you know, you're, you're so hyper. Like, do they have the signals? You know, 
Will they have the formations? Will they be, you know, will we have offsides penalties? You know, it's those little things. And then the best ability in pro sports is availability. Who's healthy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who's healthy? That's what it comes down to. So you know, we, we're seeing that a little bit in the NBA playoffs. They've been able to keep this thing kind of clean. There haven't been too many injuries. And and luckily for us, that's been the case. These playoffs continue to deliver, man. I mean, they, they, they do. They really do. And it is, it is more like the NCAA tournament now because of the bubble. Um, they're neutral site games. No one has a home court advantage. Travel doesn't bother anybody because they're all – the travel – uh, and, and staying in hotels, it's equal. The fans, it's equal. Uh, so now uh, the the there is really no advantage to being the home favorite. You know, um, so there's there's real no. So you have closer games. I know you and I talked last week that um, I, I thought the Celtics would take care of. Toronto fairly handily, mm -hmm. and they didn't finish the job in game three. Brad Stevens, I believe, played his own defense, which is fairly smart, and they made a miraculous cross-court pass to Ananobi, who hit a game-winning three, <laughs> and now that's that series uh, is tied. It, well, see, and, and when you get to a game seven, right, we already had the removal of the, the hostile road environments, the crowds that, that no nobody questions how much a great uh, arena environment can play a factor in a game. You've already re removed that. Game seven was already anybody's game anyway. Correct. Now you're doing it in an empty bubble arena. I have no clue which way that game goes. Yeah, and no team in NBA history has come back from a 3-0 deficit yep. to win a series. Now, granted, they didn't have the bubble atmosphere uh, situation that you just discussed. But boy, oh boy, they're going to – Brad Stevens, if they lose this series, and he is a hell of a coach, and all coaches, they don't think about the victories as they do as much about the losses. And he will go back to that last out-of-bounds play when Ananobi hit that three to win the game because if they if, – if he didn't make that shot, if he maybe covered it a little bit better, although I don't know how much better you could cover it, they had Taco Fall on the ball. Taco Fall seven foot five. The only thing I could have would have said Taco should have been up closer to Lowry, who was inbounding the ball. You're talking about a foot and a half difference. He really what didn't impact the ball as much as maybe he could have. Uh, but those are the those are the plays that coaches lose sleep over. I was I was talking about this earlier, and one of our listeners I think pointed this out and, and beat me to the punch because I was talking about the Raptors saying, think about what they look like now. As opposed to two years ago. Oh, right? Two years ago, Dwayne Casey was on his way to being the NBA coach of the year. Yeah. DeMar DeRozan was arguably the most beloved Raptor of all time. They were good. They were in the mix. But, you know, LeBron James and Cleveland were their daddies. I mean, they, they couldn't get past those guys in the playoffs. And then Masai Ujiri rolls the dice. He trades the most beloved Raptor in the organization, DeMar DeRozan, for Kawhi Leonard. It pays off. You know, they fire Dwayne Casey. They promote Nick Nurse. They win a title. And then here in the ensuing season, no Kawhi Leonard. Pascal Siakam's the guy that they're they're expecting is going to have to take a big leap if they get back there, but it's the guy who's been under their noses all along, Kyle Lowry, mm -hmm. who continues to step up. 33 points, that huge fadeaway jumper in the lane last night. Kyle Lowry's been the hero for this team. You know, toughness. Uh, I talk a lot about energy and toughness. You've got to have toughness, and that is one tough dude. They're, everything about them's tough. They're mentally tough. 
They're physically tough. They'll fight you for loose balls. It just goes back to what you and I were discussing last week with the Miami Heat. Yep. What a sound, strong, organizational culture they have. They do. There's an expectation that you're going to be on the floor fighting for every loose ball. There's an expectation that you're going to you know, execute defensive switches. There's an expectation that you're just going to be in the right place all the time. And if you aren't, they're going to yank your ass off the floor and they'll find somebody else who will. Well, the thing about the uh, bubble that teams have done is they shorten no rotations. So now you're playing your best players, your top eight players, more minutes than you have if it was a typical NBA series where travel impacts you more. People say, well, how, how does travel impact you? Like, how do you get tired getting on a charter plane? And, and it's a, a fair question. Like, you get in a car, you drive four hours, and you're tired. All you did was sit and steer. <laughs> Why are you tired? But you're tired. Traveling is fatiguing. For the same reason people – I used to never understand when I was younger, right? I was in my early 20s. I wanted to break into this business, but I was I was working three jobs. I was doing manual labor, trying to break in, and I used to think to myself, because I'd be dog tired at the end of the day. How do people come home and complain about being tired from working a desk job right. all day? Right. I did not – I couldn't comprehend you know, how people could work all day behind a desk and come back exhausted. And then I started doing it eight, nine, ten hours a day, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, I see now. Yeah. Because being mentally exhausted, yes, will being physically exhausted actually feels good. Yeah. You feel like you've done being mentally exhausted can really drain the life out of you. Amen. Because you know everything starts with the brain. It does. You know, and when you're physically exhausted, you feel good, like you accomplished something that day. Yeah. And so you know, again, I, I look at the Raptors and I think, you know. They didn't necessarily. They, they didn't need a Kawhi Leonard to do what they've done to this point. They're going to need somebody to fill that role if they were if they're to repeat as the NBA champs. They're still not my pick to do it. I, but the thing is, you you can speak to this as well as anybody because you've been on some great teams. You've coached some really good teams. Championship teams have this kind of I call it the cockroach quality. They can't be killed. You can't. Yeah. You, they have, there's a championship quality about this Raptors team. The cockroach quality. You can't kill them. Well, you, you said the same thing uh, about Miami. Yeah. And that's the the toughness, um, the determination. Um, you, you can't um, uh, underestimate. Uh, is a famous line by I think a football coach. The the heart of a lion. You know, and uh, they have that tenacity, and that is the it factor that when you're evaluating players for the NBA or for college that, and I mentioned this, I think last week, you can get intoxicated with talent. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the certain demographic here, Ginger or Marianne. <laughs> Even I know that one. Right. Even I know that and one. And so Ginger may look really good, but you want to marry Marianne. And so there's a lot of really good-looking basketball players that can put their heads on the rim and do some fancy things. Carl Anthony Towns comes to mind. Zach Levine comes to mind. But then you see guys like, you know, that Miami has that aren't high-level, flashy players. What do they do? They win. Yeah, they do. Miami wins. It's what that organization is doing right. I, I'm, you and I gushed about this team last week. And I, I know Hornets fans don't like to hear gushing about a Southeastern Conference rival, and I, I get it. But Miami is what a lot of teams should aspire to be. 
And, and whether it's Tyler Hero, a, a, a huge, it looks like anyway, value late lottery pick, Duncan Robinson, a former Division three kid, Kendrick Nunn, an undrafted kid, um, you know, Bam Adebayo, who was a good player, but has right. already surpassed the expectations uh, for this year. Yeah, 100%. And then you got a couple of, you know, I, I got to cover Buzz Williams for a couple of years, huh? and he's one of the most unique people in, <laughs> in college basketball, to say the least. Nutty professor. But he ha- he's talked to me on multiple occasions about the junkyard dog qualities that he saw in Jimmy Butler and in Jay Crowder, who he both coached in college. Right. They're playing together in Miami right now. Yeah. They've got a junkyard dog mentality. They're not afraid of you. Right. And and Jimmy Butler was caught on the sidelines. I guess it was game was it game four or five where he said, we got some bleeping dudes who can ball on this team. He, he exudes that junkyard mentality, you know, uh, the junkyard dog mentality. And the team feeds off that. You can see it. Well, when your best player uh, brings the most energy and is the most competitive it's going to, you know, the high tide raises all boats. You know, we saw that in uh, the last dance with Michael Jordan. Um, you know, if you're not going to bring it each day and each game, you're going to get embarrassed yeah. by your star. And if you don't work as hard as he do, does or try to, they'll call you out. And in college, uh, in the NBA, the star player really manages the team. It's not the coach. It's the star player that that is the leader of the team, especially in the NBA. All right, tonight, Lakers Rockets, the only NBA uh, playoff series on tonight. But we'll get some NBA basketball later. Coach, we appreciate you. man. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It's always fun to come on the show. Good to see you. Coach Matt Darty, longtime Tar Heel, former head coach, national champion. What was the name of your high school again? Holy Trinity Fighting Titans. That's right. The, what, the, the Class 2A state champions or what? Whoa, 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 whoa. 3A? Top class. 7A? Top class. 9A? First class. There you go. The, the, the highest class. <laughs> the Titan. All right, Coach Matt Doherty hanging out with us on a Thursday. We appreciate his time. We'll come back. Final hour of the show, and we kick it off with another guy I love to argue with. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, sports columnist, joins us next How badly does he think Clemson will beat Wake Forest on Saturday in Winston-Salem? We'll find out next. You're on the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNC.